Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Kenley. We're so glad to have all of you here with us this morning. Thank you for being here. And especially if you're visiting with us, we're very thankful to have you here. We hope that we've made you feel welcome. And uh, we want to encourage you, invite you to come back at any opportunity. And of course, stay for lunch, get some good food and fellowship. And uh, all of those that are joining us online, we want you to know we're so glad that you're with us. We're here for you. And if you ever need anything, please always reach out to us. If you could go on an extended stay, an extended trip anywhere in the world, anywhere you wanted to go, where would you go? Maybe you would go on a cruise. Maybe you would go to the beach somewhere. Maybe you just want to go to some... uh, you know, remote cabin somewhere to relax and fish, sit on the porch and read and drink coffee. Maybe you want to go to Disney World. Maybe you just want to go take a nap, and that would be nice for as long as you want, right? Well, I don't suppose any of you would raise your hand and would say you would want to go to this place. This is thought to be the prison cell that Paul was in the final time that he was in prison in Rome when he wrote the letter to the Philippian Christians. It was later named the Mamertine Prison. And this is below ground. And uh, it's thought that Peter was also here. Now, no one is going to say, yeah, that's where I want to go and stay there. We might take a tour and visit there and think that's really neat. But really, no one's going to say, that looks like a great place to go. Where can I book my flight? But that's exactly the place where Paul is thought to have been at, if not exactly that place, something similar, when he wrote this letter to the Philippian Christians whom he loved so much. And he's in this place, this terrible place, underground. And you can imagine how wonderfully accommodating it was. And there's guards everywhere when he writes this letter to these people whom he loves. Now, last week we started this series in the book of Philippians, this letter that he wrote to these Christians while he's in prison in Rome. Now, remember, Paul was in prison because he was proclaiming the gospel. That's what got him into prison in the first place. And you can recount the the steps of the story in, in the book of Acts later in the book. And at one point, they have Paul stretched out and they're about to whip him. They're about to flog him. And he says, I'm a Roman citizen. And because he was a Roman citizen, that gave him certain rights. So they stopped. And that eventually got him before the governor and the governor who succeeded him. And eventually then before Caesar the emperor himself to to teach the gospel, to make his case as to why he really was innocent. They didn't really have a charge against him. Now the Caesar he went before and the Caesar who was emperor while he was in prison is none other than Nero. The famous Nero or infamous Nero that we've heard of, he hated Christians. In fact, he blamed Christians for Rome burning down. And he is emperor and he is the one Paul came before during this time. Evil, wicked, horrible Nero who hates Christians. 
looked for an opportunity to kill them, uh, uh, torture them, uh, whatever he could do to them at every chance. And so when we read uh, the book of Philippians, we realize Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Will he ever go free or will he be executed? And when we read it, we wonder, how on earth could this guy write about joy and rejoicing in the midst of all of this that he's gone through? Now, that... In the book of Acts, he also, while being sent to Rome, the, the ship uh, was destroyed. There was a shipwreck. And in, in uh, one of his letters, he talks about that he had been beaten and stoned and flogged, abandoned. He had been through all kinds of horrible treatment because of his faith. And we wonder how on earth could you write about having joy in Jesus when you've gone through this kind of stuff? But it's because he's gone through the things he's gone through that we can read his words and they have credibility and we can say, okay, he is talking about joy, then it's got to be real because me just talking about it, I hadn't gone through anything like that. So those words can fall flat when somebody's really going through some stuff. But we read the words of a guy who went through all that stuff and then some. Been there, done that. And yet somehow he had joy in Jesus. And he writes to encourage them who are not in prison. He's the one in prison. He's writing to encourage Christians who are not in prison to stay faithful to God, tell others about Jesus, and rejoice in their salvation. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And we're just going to be in verses 12 through 18 this morning. And Paul starts in chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So let's look at, look at just verses 12 through 14. Paul is assuring the church, this church whom he loves so much, that he's okay and that his imprisonment has really worked out for good. It's worked out to advance the gospel throughout Caesar, the emperor's imperial guards, the praetorium guards. So the, the soldiers who guard the emperor, and he talks about this at the end of the book, they all know, they've learned because he's sharing his faith, he's talking about why he's there. They've heard the gospel that he believes in. And, and it's spread throughout all of the guard. Now in verse 12, notice that Paul uses this phrase. He says, it's worked out to advance the gospel. To advance the gospel. What does that mean? 
Well, when Paul wrote those words, of course, he didn't write in English. He wrote in Greek. And when he wrote that word advance, he was painting a picture for the Philippian Christians to see in their mind. It's a picture, a word picture, of a pioneer cutting through uh, the brush to make a new way. Or a group of army engineers cutting down trees and clearing the underbrush to make their way through to where they need to go. Clearing the way. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that in the same way a pioneer or uh, an army might clear the way for their path, my being in prison has cleared the way for others to hear the gospel and to be encouraged to share the gospel. So he's writing this, remember, to people who are not in prison, and he's saying that it has given them confidence to speak the words of God, and it's the word of God has spread throughout the, the guard there that are, that are guarding him. Now, verse 14, we see another benefit of Paul's imprisonment. Now, who would think that somebody's imprisonment could be a benefit to so many others? But confidence is contagious. Do you see that in verse 14? Confidence is contagious. How so? Well, Paul's faithfulness and him uh, talking to others about his faith while he was in prison actually gave confidence to the, Philipp the Roman Christians who were there around. And he wrote to give the Philippians confidence. And he says they, it gave them confidence uh, to be much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now notice Paul said to speak the word. He didn't say, like you could have, to preach the word. He said to speak the word. If he had used the word preach, if he had said Caruso, then he would be talking about this former proclamation of God's word like we're doing now. But he didn't say that word. He didn't choose that word. He chose the word laleo, and that simply means, like it says, to speak. Now, why would he say that word? Because he's writing to Christians, and that's their daily reality, and that's what he's finding them doing, and those in Rome who are connected with his ministry there, the Christians there in Rome, to, they are more confident and bold to speak to talk about God without fear. What he's talking about is their day-to-day -day lives, their day-to-day -day routine of working with people, living in a neighborhood of people, going to the store, being around others, their day-to-day -day conversation. They have had more confidence and boldness without fear to talk about their faith. That's what he's talking about. That's why he said it in such plain words, to speak. And that's our reality too, isn't it? That's our day-to-day -day life too because you go to work, you are around others, you're in the community, you have neighbors, you're around people. And he's saying what you've got to do is be confident in your day-to-day -day regular activity around people. That's the day-to-day -day routine that we have. And he's saying it's in that we need to be confident to talk about our faith. 
And that's where we get shy. We're busy because we're at work or we feel like I don't want to cross some boundary at work or I don't want my, to offend my neighbor or make somebody feel strange or I don't know how to answer every question. And that's, that's where we start getting all worried and anxious about that. And Paul's saying that's where you're supposed to talk about your faith. And it only gets easier when we practice that. And Paul is saying they're doing that. Now, Celsus, a guy named Celsus, what a name, was a Greek philosopher during that time. And he didn't like Christians and he didn't like Jesus. He was a big critic of Jesus and Christians. Here's what Celsus said. He's, at, he's a contemporary. He's around at the same time. He says, leather dressers, wool workers, cobblers, the most illiterate and vulgar of mankind are zealous preachers of the gospel. Now, he meant that as a criticism, but it's actually high praise to the Christians of that time because they were just simply speaking in their day-to-day -day life about God. Celsus continued, the counter of the merchant, the desk of the tax collector, the plow handles of the farmer were their pulpits. Do you see that picture? Do you see what they were doing? And Celsus and many others hated that and despised that. But it captures what Paul is talking about, what these Christians in Rome did and what he's encouraging those in Philippi to do. And it captures how we're supposed to live. For Christ. Now, in verses 15 through 18, look at that next section. In these next verses, Paul is telling us he's got some problems with some other Christians. Now, that never happens, does it? There, there's never any disagreement or drama among fellow Christians. No, not at all, right? I can't believe that ever happened. This must be the only time it ever happened, right? Well, Paul, he's going to share some about that and then tell us uh, how he responds to that. But he's saying some are preaching out of goodwill, Christ out of goodwill, as they should be doing. And that's pure motivation. Their motivation is right. And they understand Paul's appointed role. Now, look at what Paul said there in verse 15. They know that I was put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, that might sound like... so. That's, you were put in prison for the, because of the defense of the gospel. It can kind of sound like that, but that's not what he's saying. Now, that is true, but that's not what he's saying right there. What he's saying is, I was appointed. My, my, my existence is about God's purpose for me is to proclaim the gospel, and, and him in particular among the Gentiles. He's actually talking about the point of his life. Now, he wrote in Galatians 1, 15 through 16, for I would, starting in verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For, if, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15 of Galatians 1. But when he who had set me apart 
before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Do you see that? So Paul's telling us, I've been appointed to do this. So those who preach Christ from, from, from a good motivation were doing it right, but there were these others who were rivals of him. And we don't know why exactly they were rivals of him. And they're make, taking advantage of the fact that he's in prison. And then maybe they're hoping to raise their status, get a few more likes and followers on their social media platforms. Whatever the case might be, uh, uh, talk bad about him. There, maybe they were envious of his influence. They were jealous of uh, his effectiveness. Maybe they wanted to spotlight that uh, for whatever reason, they had an issue with Paul. And they were trying to rise up while he was in prison. Now, Paul never says there was anything wrong with what they were teaching. It was their motivation. And so how did Paul handle that? Look at verse number 18. There's something we can learn from Paul. What we can learn from Paul is that Paul wasn't too concerned about Paul. Paul wasn't too concerned about Paul. And I think that's a really important thing to learn. He says, the NIV says it this way, but what does it matter? Who, who cares that they don't like me? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So he's like, I, I don't care. If they have an issue, I hadn't done anything wrong to them. I'm not going to fuss and fight with them. I'm not going to go blast them on social media or in the break room or to their face. Fine. The main thing I'm concerned with, the only thing I'm concerned with is that Christ is preached. If they have issues, then I'm not subscribing to their issues. Cancel my subscription. I don't have time for their drama. I'm concerned about the work of Christ. He's an example of rejoicing to the Roman and to the Philippian Christians. Because how can he have that kind of joy? How can he not let those things bother him and get him down? Because that's what we do. We let the little drama in daily life eat up all of our time and our mental attention instead of being focused on the things God would have us to be doing. And what we see here, part of that, a big part of that is speaking to others about our faith. You know, it's only Christians that can know that joy that is in Christ. The world has a lot of wonderful things in it. God made the world. There's a lot of beautiful places, a lot of special things that humanity does. There's a lot of great things in this world. But nothing at all that the world offers can compare to that joy that that Christian has. No matter what they go through. Now remember, that's not me saying it. We're reading Paul's words who'd been through all of that and probably much more. He's the one saying it. So I can have confidence in his words because he's the one that went through it. And that gives me confidence no matter what I'm going through. Do you see that? No matter what I see going on in the world, I can have joy like Paul had joy. But it's only found in Christ. Life can be upside down, but you can still be anchored in Christ. The Hebrew author said, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul in Hebrews 6, 9. And he was talking about salvation. Now, a friend of mine, of Joyce and I, named Ron French, in Abilene at the Oldham Lane congregation, 
Brother Ron makes these crowns of thorns. These are made out of, he goes and finds rose uh, bushes, you know, the vines, and uh, he cuts them. He wears special gloves to twist them together. And he puts them in a box that holds these, and he'll give them to people. And you have to be careful holding this. Ron has told me that he has never made one, even with those gloves on. He's never done it where one of these thorns didn't prick his finger and draw blood. And he said that every time reminds him of what Jesus did for us. Ron started making these after his daughter died. And then sometime after that, his wife passed away suddenly. They're therapy for him. And especially when it does draw blood and it reminds him what this is all about. Ron, Ron what, what reason does Ron have for joy? He has a, he has a granddaughter. He has a daughter. So, of course, they're, they're, there's reason for joy in them, absolutely. But he's lost his daughter, other daughter. He's lost his spouse. But he, he reminds himself of that joy he has in Jesus, no matter what he's gone through. How does anybody go through that and recover? But Ron does, and he keeps on going. And he's always there, always willing to serve, always encouraging others. Ron is an encourager of others. In Matthew 27, as we close, starting in verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head while he's wearing the crown of thorns. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And in Acts chapter 2, when Peter was teaching that message to this group of thousands of Jews who had assembled for the day of Pentecost, Jews who knew the Old Testament scriptures but didn't believe in Jesus and he taught the gospel to them and they heard that good news of Jesus, what he did for them. They cried out, what do we do in response to this message? We believe it, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, here's what they did in response. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I think it's always the right time to remind us of what this is all about and encourage us to keep our joy in Jesus and to tell others about him. If we can help you this morning anyway, we want you to know we love you, we care for you. We're here for you always, not just this morning, but if there's something we can do for you this morning, pray with you answer any questions, study with you. Maybe you want to talk about putting on Christ in baptism. Whatever your need is, we want you to know we're here for you. You're welcome to come forward now as we together stand.